Well, thank you for such a warm welcome. It's always a pleasure uh, to come here. I've enjoyed uh, uh, my times here and getting to know a few of you as, as, as I've been coming. And, and it's just a, just a wonderful uh, time uh, just coming over here to, to Lincoln. I, was, I had the privilege of, of listening to a couple of the sermons that online in, in this series on John that you've begun. And I listened to your future pastor. He, he, I think he preached on the 11th of December, and wow, he's, he's, he sounds really good. So you're exciting days ahead in 2023, and um, yeah, I, I, I think there's some wonderful times ahead. Um, I'm, we're in the, the Gospel of John, as I said there, in verses 14 to 29, and uh, this is the, the third message in your series, and uh, before Christmas, you were introduced to the light, uh, the Word becoming flesh in Jesus Christ and incredibly uh, indwelling amongst men. And that's a wonderful thing. We've been thinking about it, I'm sure, all over Christmas as, as we've been doing that. that. That fact that Jesus came to earth to dwell amongst us. That we saw God reaching into the darkness, and it really was a dark time. And we were reminded of the incredible word, but, in verse 12, which changes everything. And I remember uh, one of your speakers there was, was just sharing about that word, but... And uh, the, the, it, by God's grace, the, the, through believing in faith, we could become the children of God. You know, salvation had come to mankind. Now we come to this, this portion on John the Baptist. You've already been introduced to him. Now for me, he was, a, he was an ambassador. Now I've come across an ambassador before, a name of Warren. His name was Hayden Warren Gash. Hayden Warren Gash, that's a wonderful name, isn't it? Hayden Warren Gash. It sounds a, a little bit posh to me, uh, but it's, it's a wonderful name. And he was an ambassador in the Ivory Coast in West Africa where we served. And, and we had the wonderful uh, privilege at Christmas time as missionaries to get invite to uh, the embassy. Uh, for the Christmas, annual Christmas party. Now, we felt very unworthy of this, this invite as, as ordinary uh, people with not a lot of money and certainly not posh. Uh, we would be get invited to, to the, this party there. And when we would go there, there was this, this wonderful Christmas party laid on. They would sing Christmas carols, and, and, the, and, and it was all a little, just a little bit of England in the middle of Africa. It was just very strange. It was quite surreal, really, uh, to be at this, this party. But Hayden Warren Gash was a very important guy. Why? He was, an, he was an ambassador, but he was an ambassador for who? He was ambassador to our late queen, wasn't he? He didn't represent himself. He represented the queen. He represented royalty. Now, I'm reminded that John here, as we go into, get into these scriptures, didn't represent it himself. And, and the scriptures we're going to be looking at this morning uh, very much tell us that he was representing another. He was here because of another. The, Hayden Warren Gash was representing the queen. John the Baptist was representing the king. Very, very important. And, and, you know, all of us are told in, in Scripture that we too are ambassadors. We've, we read that, Paul tells us that in 2 Corinthians, doesn't he? That we are all uh, ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors, representatives of Jesus, the King. Well, let's have a look at, at these verses here. Just to remind you, this, this, his story doesn't just start here. We know uh, from the other gospel writers that John was, was, was born of Zechariah, uh, the priest, and his wife Elizabeth, but, but had been spoken of centuries before by the prophets. 
And then, of course, it was the, the angel Gabriel who had, had promised Zechariah in the temple a son in his old age. This was a, a shock, wasn't it? So shocking, of course, that this news uh, to Zechariah, that, that just like Sarah in the Old Testament, he didn't fully believe it. I, he didn't believe that in his old age he was going to have a son. And he was struck dumb uh, until the baby was born. And previously, in the opening verses of just of our chapter here, uh, we learned that John was a man sent from God. We learned that he had come as a witness to the light, uh, namely the light of the world. And thirdly, he cried out regarding Jesus. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me in verse 15. You know, I have always loved the story of John the Baptist. He's, he's, like, he's like a first century, uh, much better version of Bear Gryllis. Everybody's heard of Bear Gryllis, haven't they? he's living alone in the caves. I just love that idea of just living in caves. I don't know. I'm just this country bumpkin who just loves the outdoors. And he's surviving off the land. What does he eat? Can you imagine eating those tasty locusts? Anybody eating locusts? Nobody? Nobody? Nobody's eaten? Well, I have eaten moon bugs out in Papua New Guinea. I imagine Davis, would, if he was in here, would have probably eaten the same thing. So we called them moon bucks. We would fry them up with a bit of garlic, and they tasted pretty good. They were just really the termites, really, that would come out every now and then, fly around the lights, and they catch them, and then put them in a frying pan, and they tasted pretty good. So I've eaten moon bugs and stuff like that, and... and you know, this is what he was surviving off, locusts, and then they had the delicious wild honey. I don't think that would be so bad. Most of us will have eaten honey and enjoyed that. Uh, but he was out there. He was outside in the wilderness. He, he was untainted by the world, and uh, he, was, he, was, he was not tainted by the ungodly uh, culture that was around him. John was unaffected by, by the current fashions, and you may have noticed uh, uh, that uh, that, that he was wearing the, the, this, this tunic of, of, of camel hair. I mean, I don't know what shirts you're wearing or how comfortable you're feeling this morning, but I'd imagine that's pretty darn itchy uh, to be wearing a, a tunic of camel hair. It would, would have been what was worn by the poorest of people at that time. That's what he wore. A coarse uh, piece of, uh, piece of uh, material that that would have been. You know, we, we, would, we read here that he wore a level, we read that he wore a leather belt, and uh, he, was, he was not exactly wearing the fashions of this, this time. He was a country bumpkin, as it were. Yet he wasn't stupid, was he? He lived a, a humble, simple life, unsullied by the, the vices of this world. He, he separated himself from the, the cities and the towns. He was out there in the countryside, but he wasn't a, a, a dumb country bumpkin. No. He, 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 he would, have, would have been educated by his father, who, of course, was part of the priesthood. And he would, have, he would have known so many things. He had been taught uh, by his father. He, he would have known, uh, he would have been taught from the word. He, he, was, he was not the kind of sort of deadbeat hippie that sometimes he's portrayed as. He knew uh, what, uh, what, he knew his, knew his stuff in the scripture. His vow, of course, as a Nazarite, now it was that he meant he didn't touch alcohol. He was sober-minded he did not want to let the stuff of this world get in the, in the way of his, his devotion to God, which, of course, is so often the case for us as modern-day Christians, isn't it? So often we allow the world to get in, and it changes us. 
and time to time, he, 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 the, the, though from the outside, he, he, for, for many, uh, he would have been looked upon, down upon by the, as, as poor and homeless, a, a tramp, a, a vagabond. But the fact was that he'd been well-educated. He understood the Scriptures. He had listened to his parents. This is what Zechariah says of his son. His, he says this, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Then later in, in verse 80, we find, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was, was in the deserts till the day of his showing into, unto Israel. He waxed strong. He understood the ways uh, of the... the uh, he was educated. He, he understood uh, the, the things of God. And we see his education continued as he lived alone in the mountains and valleys. Now, I, I believe that as we go out into the countryside, we, are, we can be educated as well. He, we under, get to understand of this great God, the Creator. We see so much in creation about who God is and, and His great power. And we're, we're undistracted by, by the world when we see what's going on in nature. I love nature. He knew his time would come, and, and in this chapter we see John begin to fulfill the prophecies about him. He was to be the messenger, the voice, the witness, the one who would point people to the light, the Christ, the Lamb, the promised Messiah, the Savior, Jesus, the Son of God. That's who he was pointing to. That's who he was here on this planet for. Now, I love John's story as well because it's not actually about him but about Christ. It's not about his successes, his abilities, his fame, or his fortune. It was not at all about uh, all those things that make up that great and wonderful uh, modern biography. His biography was not about him. John was but about one purpose in life, to prepare for the promised Savior of the world. His short life was going to be about, not, not be about himself, it was to point and to bring glory to the promised one, the deliverer. You know, back in December, we, we heard he himself was not the light, but he was to be the witness of the light. So John arrives on the scene after some 400 years of silence, just as Isaiah had prophesied all those centuries before. Israel had, had, was a divided nation, split up by, by, by the, the rulers of Rome. They had appointed the tyrant Herod the Tetrarch to govern much of its ter territory. And the country was in a desperate place, spiritually desolate. It was a true dark ages for Israel. There was a corrupt priesthood, and, and, it, and there was just only a handful, just a few, a remnant uh, that remained faithful. It was a bleak period for the country. And at its lowest points, now was the time for the voice. John was that voice. The cry into the, Israel, into the wilderness of Israel and all mankind's experience. The darkness of night was almost at an end. The morning star had appeared to usher in a new day. We read in the, the other Gospels, though, we, that we find no mention here, John's message and baptism was one of repentance. 
that complete U-turn. And I used to be in the Air Cadets, and a U-turn would be, we, they would always say TLV. We would come along here, and we go TLV, and then off. And that was, your, that was a complete turnaround, the TLV, a turnaround. And that's what repentance is, that complete turnaround from your sin to face somewhere new. And his message was, was, was a message of repentance, that complete turnaround to face a perfect God, uh, the Christ. But here, for the sake of time, I just want us to notice three things from our passage this morning, three statements that remind us again that this was about Christ and not about John. He would actually say, later say, he must become greater, I must become less. He was not about himself, was he, John the Baptist? But here are three statements. Make straight the way of the Lord, verse 23, John's purpose. The, verse, verse 27 the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And then thirdly, behold the Lamb of God who takes away uh, the sin of the world, verse 29. Make straight the way of the Lord, verse 23. The priests and the Levites were desperate to know exactly who John was, we read here. Who was, who was, the country, who was this country vagabond who was creating such a stir, attacking the crowds, uh, teaching his, attracting the crowds, uh, uh, teaching the, the, his message of repentance? Why were so many flocking to hear him? What was going on? What was the big deal about this guy? Are you the Christ? Are you Elijah, they asked? You know, the way he dressed might have put them on that... that Trail to Second Kings five, where, where, where Second Kings five eight says that Elijah was known to have worn a, a similar outfit. He, he also wore uh, similar clothes to what John the Baptist was. They questioned uh, whether he was Elijah because he was wearing similar clothes. Perhaps he would have. They would have known the, uh, the what it said in scriptures. Uh, they continued, "Are you the pro- prophet?" There would have been a huge claims, but he gives an emphatic, no, I'm not Elijah. Yes, he had come in the spirit and power of Elijah, but no, he was not Elijah. In his humility, he says he is nothing but a voice crying out on behalf of another. And it's amazing how Christ himself speaks of, of John in, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women... There has risen no greater than John the Baptist. That's what Jesus said of John. Of course, only Jesus could have said that, not John himself. Though John simply quotes Isaiah the prophet and cries, make straight the way of the Lord. Note not that John the Baptist, not John the Baptist's way, it's the way of the Lord. Get ready, repent, the Lord is coming was his message. And we cannot be sure if these priests and Levites would have been up on their scriptures as they should have been. Again, this was a time of spiritual depression and compromise and hypocrisy. We hear so much of that. In fact, he, he, they're described as a, a brood of vipers by John, aren't they? In Matthew 3 verse 7. A brood of vipers. Such was their state. But perhaps they did know. Perhaps they did understand the Scriptures. And, and John was referring to, to what is found in Isaiah 40, verse 3. A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway 
for our God. And that's so familiar from Handel's Messiah, if you know your music. It's a wonderful, wonderful uh, piece of music, isn't it? In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And we've heard it at Christmas, I'm sure, at this time. They would have understood that this, this was to be a, is being a voice that preceded the coming and the comfort of the Messiah. That's what John wanted them to understand as he quoted, I am but a voice, a cry, a faint tremor before the earthquake arrival of Jesus Christ. These priests, these priests and Levites keep on pushing John to state who he was, but John only wants, to know, wants them to know who he was. Jesus was. He must become greater. I must become less, he would say later. And that leads nicely into, into the set second of our statements, verse 27. The strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. There is a sense in which John the Baptist was like the time town crier of old. Oh, yay! Oh, yay! Oh, yay! The king is coming! It was never about the town crier. It was always about the king. That was John. He counted himself so unworthy of the one who was coming. He had refused the titles that others were trying to give him. He was just a voice, a baptizer, yes, but only uh, with ordinary water. The, the, the one that was to come was going to be baptizing in the Spirit of God. John counted himself not worthy to bend down and untie the Messiah's shoelace. That's humility, isn't it? The kind of humility that we see in Isaiah as he is confronted with that wonderful vision of God. We read there in, in Isaiah 6, in that year uh, that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord uh, sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Holy, holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. They cried. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe is me, cries Isaiah when he sees that vision. Woe is me. That's the kind of unworthiness we should feel as we come before the Savior. John recognizes his role. It's important, but he's, he's only preparing the way for the very Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, the utterly holy, the sinless, the creator, God. Who is worthy of such a person? He might well echo Isaiah, woe is me, as all of us should. Twice, John tells us in verses 16 and 30, he ranks before me because he was before me. The eternal aspect of the Messiah is emphasized. He knew exactly who Jesus was. He had so co-created the universe, existing in unity with the Father and Spirit before the very dawn of time. How great is our Lord Jesus Christ when, the, when John the Baptist, who Jesus said was the greatest of all, is unable to even untie his sandals. Do you know who this Jesus is? Are you not humbled by this person, the realization that truly he is God? Both James 4.10 and 1 Peter 5.6, we are told to humble ourselves before the Lord. 
James also tells us, God resists the proud. And this is so difficult for us as human beings, isn't it? We are so proud. We are so proud, so self-sufficient, so in control, so full of pride to humble ourselves. It's, it's difficult. Did you know the most popular song uh, to be played or sung at funerals is Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way? I Did It My Way. Listen to a couple of verses. Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew. But though through it all, there was no doubt. I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all and I stood tall and did it my way. For what is man, what is he himself, then he is naught. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who feels, who, who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Yes, I did it my way. Lyrics that are so full of me, myself, and I. When I, I, what I have done, what I have achieved, it's all about me. What irony as the music plays and the, the coffin containing that lifeless body is carried to the grave. It's all about that person, what he, he's achieved. And yet, a life lived for what? For me, myself, and I, that means nothing in those moments as that coffin is carried away. Means nothing. All our righteousness, the Bible tells us, is, filth, is as filthy rags. That which has been built up in this life will only burn. We can't take anything with us. There's nothing, including our pride, that can be taken with us beyond the grave. We have all sinned and fallen short of his glory. Yet we will not humble ourselves. We will not be as John and recognize that we are utterly unworthy. Deserving only of death and eternal punishment. Now one day we will all come face to face with Christ as John did. And the Bible tells us, or, uh, us all of us uh, that, that sooner or later we will be in his presence. In this life or the next, we will bow the knee and face the king. What will we have to show? Philippians 2 verses 10 and 11. For at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. In heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Will you be humbled now or when it's too late? Will you make your life count for Christ? The great missionary uh, to China and India and Africa as well, C.T. Studd understood this and utters, utters those famous words, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. How we must come and humble ourselves, even in 2023, under the mighty hand of God, whether we're believers or whether we're not. We need to come into his presence. He is worthy. Let's bow before him in 2023 and offer our lives. I did it my way. We'll never stand up as a defense when Jesus, when God is our final judge. It will not stand up. So we must move on then to verse 29 and see Jesus making his, way towards, making his way towards what John. And as he does so, we read one of the greatest, uh, even perhaps the greatest pronouncements of all time. And it falls from his lips and it's these words, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, John, the voice in the wilderness, explains exactly who Jesus is. 
the Lamb. Behold Him. This is where we are to press the rewind button of Scripture. Our minds are cast back to, to, to the Old Testament. The Lamb. What significance that must have been to those who were listening. The Lamb. It was the Lamb whose blood would be shed and placed on the doorposts of every Hebrew household uh, to, to avoid the devastating plagues of Egypt. The, the, the angel of death as it passed would... They, they avoided seeing their firstborn lost. It was, had such significance, the blood of the Lamb. Remembered and celebrated at the feast of Passover by the Jews, still to this day, the Lamb, such significance. In Old Testament times, of course, every day, both morning and night in the temple, we read in Exodus, a Lamb was to be slaughtered, sacrificed for the sins of the people. And who can forget those powerful prophetic words of Isaiah, uh, hundreds of years before the Messiah was ever born. The, the words of, of Isaiah were this, in Isaiah 53, 7, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his, like a, his mouth, and like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb. The lamb was always associated with, with sacrifice. And Jesus, as the lamb of God, would be no exception. Paul refers to him as our sacrificial Passover lamb, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 7. And John the Baptist tells us for whom the sacrifice would be made. He says this lamb would take away uh, the sin of the world. And I love what Alexander McLaren says here. He's a, a great commentator. I always enjoy what he has to say. And he says this, the sin of, of the world, as if the whole mass of human transgression was bound together in one black and awful bundle and laid upon the unshrinking shoulders of this better atlas who can bear it all and bear it all the way. Your sin and mine and every man's were laid upon Jesus Christ, the Lamb. A better atlas, of course, refers to, to Greek mythology and the titan that, that we see condemned to bear the earth. You probably have seen pictures of this, of, of the, this guy that's underneath the earth just bearing it up the whole world. That better atlas, the Lamb of God, doesn't just bear it. He takes away the sin of the world. That's amazing, isn't it? You know, these are uncertain days, and we are at the very beginning of 2023, and many people in our society are worried, aren't they? There's a lot of anxiety out there as we come and we talk to different ones. How will they pay their energy bills? How, how do I keep a roof over my head? How do I put food on the table? Will I get into hospital at this time? What about the NHS? What about Ukraine? What about the situation here? And there's lots of things. Our news, in our news, we're bombarded with things to worry about. Our lives are, maybe uh, we ourselves, even here in this congregation, even as Christians, are fearful uh, for 2023. Maybe we're considering our own mortality. You know, all of these things, it, it, the, the, the world is make it have a, has a lot of questions at this time. You know, our lives, after all, the Scriptures tells us, are but a lift, mist, a, a vapor, moving swifter, uh, than a, a weaver's shuttle, it says in Job. Brothers and sisters, there is but one hope for us and those around us. John knew it. And that is the Lamb of God. That is the Lamb of God. 
the one who takes away the sin of the world. Do you truly believe that Jesus Christ is the spotless Lamb of God who took away your sins personally? Do you recognize your own guilt uh, before a holy God that the, the Lamb took your punishment as a sacrifice for you upon the cross? Turn away from your sinful life. Do that TLV. Repent as John preached repentance. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved from the wrath to come. And then you'll have freedom from sin. You'll, you'll have a new hope. you have eternal life. You will be able to come to the Father and cast all your anxiety upon Him. You'll have a friend that will stick closer than a brother. The Lamb will become your friend, your Savior. Freedom from sin, a new hope, eternal life. Isn't that, isn't that something that you would want to grasp? in 2023. For those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, already know him, will we declare with John, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Will we declare it in 2023 or will we just sit in our homes and and ignore our neighbors and ignore those around us, our community? Or will we tell them that their sin has been taken away, that they can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and truly be saved? Well, we with boldness as John, despite our opposition, and he met opposition, didn't we? He would lose his life to King Herod later on. Will we with boldness tell our unbelieving families, our unbelieving friends, our unbelieving neighbors, maybe even go a little bit further and tell people uh, further away? You know, if you don't tell them, who will? I think we often wait for others to tell. But you are the one who has the responsibility to share of the Lamb. What are we here for as Christians if it's not simply to bear witness of this Lamb of God? Why didn't Jesus just take us to be with him in heaven when we were saved? He could have done. He didn't because he has a purpose for each one of our lives. It's not just for the evangelists. It's not just for those who are up front or preachers or whatever. It's for all of us. We need to declare, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist lived his short but very fruitful life to point people to the Christ. His sole purpose in life was to lead people to the Lamb, the Son of God. Surely he could have used the words of Paul, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He would, of course, later die at the hands of Herod, but not before he carried out his purpose in life. He was the voice crying out in the wilderness. John 20, verse 31 says, But these are written so that you may believe in Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Words of the song, I just want to finish with these. Behold him there the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you, Lord, that we do have a risen lamb. We thank you, Lord, that we can behold you as our savior, as our king, as a living and wonderful uh, friend uh, that we can come to at any time. We thank you, Lord, that we have access and we can come with boldness, as Hebrews tells us, to the very throne of God 
because the, pl- the blood of the Lamb was shed, and we are washed whiter than the snow. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we are saved. Lord, help us to remember these things as we, we go into our lives throughout the week. Lord, we have opportunities with the people at work, with our neighbors, with our friends, with our families, who, with people who just simply do not know you and yet so desperately need you. Give us those opportunities. Help us to, with courage, speak out as John spoke out. Lord, give us uh, those, those times, Lord, where we have the ability just to, to uh, just speak of you. And Lord, we pray that it will be to your glory and to the salvation of many here in Lincoln and perhaps beyond. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.